Well, good morning. My name is Brian Lamb. If I haven't had the, the privilege to meet you, I hope I get that honor soon. Uh, always a joy to be able to have this opportunity to open the Word of God and to learn from Him with all of you. Uh, I, I really cherish these times that I get to come up here and, and, and just open the Word of God uh, and be able to just hear what His Spirit is telling us and teaching us and convicting us of and encouraging us in. And so there's uh, some good news today. It's going to be a rather easy day for us. It's not too convicting today. It's, uh, it's going to be pretty easy, pretty light. If you've been following our sermon series, you know I'm totally kidding right now. But we're actually going to be in the part of Jesus' famous uh, Sermon on the Mount, this passage, this famous passage on the anger of the heart. And so this is uh, one of the things I, I love about going through a book of the Bible, that you really don't get to pick the topics. You're going to preach what the Word says. So we don't get to kind of like maneuver around that, and we don't really get to pick where they land either, so it's kind of interesting that this lands after a family holiday like Thanksgiving, right? Where uh, I hope all of you had a, a great Thanksgiving, but I know for some of us, there's many of us probably that we just are glad we got through Thanksgiving with that cousin or uncle or aunt or brother or sister, right, where it's just hard, we're just, we're just really trying not to blow up on them, right? Like it's just good that we only see them like twice a year. And, uh, and maybe we came away this, this year thinking, man, we did so good, right? Like we didn't get caught in, in that trap of political conversations this year at Thanksgiving. We stayed away, right? We didn't yell at them for cheering for the Redskins when clearly they should be cheering for the Cowboys. I mean, what idiot does that? It's Thanksgiving. Everybody in America should be cheering for the Cowboys, right? I mean, so, so maybe we came away from a Thanksgiving fun time where it's just been great, and then we come in here, and we're going to talk about, though, anger in the heart, and so I believe our, our God has a sense of humor this morning. Uh, as I said, we're going to be in our series called Living Upside Down, where we're, we're walking through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount and seeing how this gospel, this good news of Jesus, calls us to this upside-down way of living. In this amazing sermon of our Savior, we've gone through the Beatitudes, where we've seen this this beautiful description of the Christian, of one that walks by faith in Christ alone. Uh, then he moves on to tell us our purpose, our function in this world as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as he is the fulfillment of the law and all the prophecies. And so today we're going to begin in verse 21 of chapter Matthew, uh, of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is going to expound upon what he said there at the end of what we saw last week in verse 20, that we are to have a righteousness that is greater than that of the Pharisees and scribes if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he's going to expound upon this righteousness that he's talking about there. And what we're going to look at today is the first of what's going to be six examples to finish out the chapter, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew as he explains in all of these examples a righteousness that actually does surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And so, like, that statement in verse 20 that he makes at times can seem daunting for us, just unattainable. Like, how are we going to do that? Because when it comes to the external acts of righteousness, the Pharisees, they, they've got that down locked tight. Like, that's, that's theirs. I mean, they're kind of like the, the modern-day Golden State Warriors, if you will, like, like, or the Alabama Crimson Tide or somebody like that, right? Like, why, why even play, right? And so these guys are just, they're just on another level. But yet Jesus, he said that you better have a, 
greater righteousness than theirs if you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is going to do throughout these six examples is he's going to change the game on us. If we're talking about basketball, he's essentially going to take away the three-point shot. He's going to make the basket smaller, and he's going to drive inside the paint. He's going to turn things upside down on us. And what Jesus is doing here ultimately is he's going to expose the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes and show that these guys are just as wicked as you and I are. He's going to call these brothers out for essentially reducing the law to this external act, to a form of traditionalism, making uh, things about the laws that they have set up rather than the lawgiver who has given them the laws. Because see, the, the true lawgiver, God himself, he's not looking to just external acts of righteousness, but he's looking inward. He's about a righteousness of the heart. Yet the Pharisees and the scribes, they've taken these laws of God and they've reduced them to bounds and measures that they themselves could obtain. What they're thinking is, as long as we keep the letter of the law, then we don't really have to worry about the actual heart of it, the meaning of it, the demand of it. That really doesn't matter. We're looking for a way to credit themselves righteousness before God. And the problem with that is that a righteousness before God cannot come from a sinful person. It can only come from a holy God. And so while Jesus, he's, he's going to go in here in these next six examples, he's going to hit some pretty touchy subjects. Like we're, we're all going to get called out in here. All of our hearts and the, the idols of our hearts are going to get exposed in the next six weeks. You're not going to be able to hide behind your behavior modification and your church facade with what Jesus is going to say. But what he's going to say to us is all ultimately for our good. It's all for our good because, see, the good news for us that believe in the good news of Jesus is that he not only sets us free from the external action of sin, but also the inward motivation of it as well. That that as we come to Jesus, we find this righteousness that is not of ourselves, but is of the transforming power of Jesus Christ to actually change the sinful inward heart where we begin to find freedom in Christ from sin. The idols, the things of this world that we once chased after, that once had a hold of us, that we were enslaved to, no longer are. But we're able to enjoy this abundant life that Jesus talks about with God. And so if you'll follow with me, we're going to get into the word, Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. With all that in mind, let's read this. It says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors... Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, Go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never... And so this phrase that he uses at the beginning in in verse 21, he's going to use this in all six examples. He says, you've heard it said... Here he says, you've heard it said 
from our ancestors. And so what he's saying is, you've been told this. You've read this probably. You've been uh, told by your ancestors of the law that was given to Moses for God's people. However, notice though that Jesus, he doesn't point to the lawgiver here. He points to the ancestors of these people. He goes on to say, you've heard from them, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. So you know from your ancestors that if you murder somebody, if you take, another, if you take a human life, if you wrongly do that, then, 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 then you will be liable for that. You will be held responsible. There will be justice to be had on that issue. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, but I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's bringing the full weight of this law to light. He's giving them the intention, the meaning, the heart of the lawgiver when he gave this command in Exodus 20 that these people have forgotten about. See, they have limited their interpretation of murder to its literal meaning, which is to wrongly take another life. And they've done that in order to make it something that was obtainable for them to do. And so Jesus, he's here trying to broaden our understanding of what murder truly is in the eyes of God. He's exposing the heart motivation of murder, that murder comes from anger. Therefore, even an internal anger towards another person is wicked, it is sinful, and it is evil before the eyes of God, and there will be judgment to be had. So some of us might say, Jesus is being somewhat of a snitch here. And I have a reputation of being a master in the art of snitchery. If you didn't know that, there's, a, there's an art to it, and I'm very good at it. And I would say, yeah, G- Jesus is snitching on all of us here. But in his snitching, unlike mine, he is being extremely gracious with us. Extremely gracious, because what he's saying to us is, of course you're going to get judged if you murder somebody, but, but I want to talk about the part that they left out. I want to I talk about the inward motivation that is also murder, which is anger. And so Jesus, he's letting us in on the fact that the, the commandment of do not murder doesn't only encompass the physical action of murder, but also the inward motive as well of anger. He wants us to see this inward meaning, this inward heart of the law, rather than just the outward action of it that these Pharisees and these scribes are teaching and holding themselves and holding others to and trying to justify themselves before God. The anger in the heart toward anyone is sin and is in danger of judgment. And if we keep following, he gives a couple of examples of how this displays itself, so how's it, how it surfaces. And so he says, Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. And so what Jesus is saying is that while insulting others or calling others fools may not be wounding the physical body of that person, what you're doing is still wounding them. You've just now wounded them in their soul and in their spirit. You still want to hurt them, just like the person that physically murders them. You want them to feel pain. Maybe not an external pain, but an internal pain. You want that for them. And the Bible is very clear. That from the Bible is very clear, yeah, that the heart, from the heart, the mouth speaks. And so our words of, of insults that are, that are meant to hurt people and slander people and cause pain, it's really revealing the state of our hearts. 
This anger that's inside of us is just showing us that we are just as wicked, just as evil, just as sinful as the person that physically harms somebody else's body. It's the same outcome. It's the same motivation. It's the same sin. It's the same judgment. And so Jesus, he's telling us here, don't, don't think you've achieved this commandment. Don't think you've arrived simply because you've not physically murdered somebody. If you think that, you're neglecting the fullness of this commandment, the heart of this commandment. Therefore, you are still on the hook for the punishment of it, as he says there at the end of verse 22, that we will be subject to hellfire. And so this begs the question then of all of us, what is the state of our hearts? Do we have anger in our hearts? Do we insult others? Do we call other people fools? Because God sees the heart. He sees the internal part of us. Because he's not only concerned with the external actions that we do, but of the whole person that we are. Acts to an external act of just murder, something we know that we've either already kept or that we think that we are going to keep and just think we're all good with God. So in revealing this to us, I believe Jesus is here. He's trying to help set us free from the anger that is sinful. That if not dealt with in repentance will lead us down a dark, dark path. Like, like, sin doesn't just appear as if from nowhere. You don't just murder somebody someday. There's always a trail that you can follow. There's the sin that's not dealt with in the heart leads us always down a dark and downward spiral that will one day, as we see here, end at the deepest and darkest place that there is, which is hellfire, in an eternal separation and torment. And so let's just spend a moment and talk about the ways that anger expresses itself, that we hopefully get a good hold of this. We, we see it in many forms. There's just blatant anger where we have a, a temper. We explode on others. We treat others meanly, right? We, we're kind of like the Hulk. We may not turn green, but we probably go around saying, you won't like me when I'm angry, right? Because we're just going to try to destroy everything that's in our path because of the anger. But then there's also the oh-nothing method. You know this one? Where, you know, somebody will ask you like, hey, Anything, anything going on? You okay? Oh, nothing. And you're not really a good actor because clearly they can see that because they're like, well, you, know, you haven't answered your phone, all the phone calls. You haven't answered any of my messages. You don't text back. You walk out of the room when I come into a room. Like, clearly there's something probably wrong. Nothing's wrong. See, that's an anger. We're suppressing our feelings. And we're actually blaming the other person for what they've done and the fact that they don't know what they've done because we don't want to actually resolve the conflict there. We just want to be angry. That's sin. Like even insults sometimes can be that way. It can be an active where we're just in people's face. We just don't care. We're just going to insult people. But it can also be very passive as well. And sometimes these are the worst. And so just some examples is one that's kind of interesting. You're going to wear that? What about, must be nice, fine, whatever. Well, I didn't know you meant now. You just need everything to be perfect, don't you? Well, I thought you knew. Sure. Well, I was only joking. Why are you getting so upset? Well, a really fun one that, that, I, that I love that I've actually had before. You, you've done so, so well with someone of your education level. I mean, that's just dirty. <laughs> that's just dirty. Right, these, these backhanded, passive comments of anger. I know them all because I've used them all. This is where I struggle. 
I can be a very passive, sarcastic jerk because that's just easier than trying to deal with the problems that are in front of me and express myself. Like, that's how I've operated. Usually, I will just make a sarcastic comment, and I'll say, well, I was only joking, but I wasn't joking. I actually meant what I said. I just don't want to deal with the problem that's going to come after that. And many of us, we operate in this way. Then there's some of us that our anger expresses itself as we elevate our strengths over others' weaknesses. We always put others down. We always elevate ourselves. And then here's the one that's really going to have a lot of fun for us in this morning, that a lot of us are in this, is the tattletale method, where we tell everyone else but the person that we're actually mad with, where we insult other people to other people rather than going to the person who has offended us. There's the, the glass half-empty person. They're just a breath of fresh air to be around all the time. Actions of anger that are sinful. Then one thing that, that I think is really difficult is this anger over perceived injustice. This, this is a deep, deep anger that, that, that goes way beyond a short temper or uh, some sarcasm. This is a type of anger where we begin to justify ourselves. Where, where maybe a relational conflict goes wrong, and, and, and despite our attempts at, at trying to reconcile and resolve, it, it just doesn't happen. And so we begin to justify our anger of the other person, or maybe we feel trapped in a difficult and a painful situation. So we begin to uh, justify putting others down so we won't be alone in our pain. Or maybe betrayal has left us in ruins, and so we act out of anger towards others that didn't betray us, but we can't trust anybody now. Or we're seeking God's guidance on an important decision. We labor to pray, to try to trust him, yet he seems quiet. We know the scriptures. We know that he works all things out for the good of those who love him, for his glory. But yet in that moment, in daily life, it just seems ambiguous. It seems confusing. So all we know what to do is to lash out in anger. And usually it's to the people that are closest to us. In many situations throughout life, because from our perspective, it feels justified. We begin to feel much more of a victim than like a sinner that we actually are. And so as we don't get the results that we expected, we begin to ask, is my faith working? Am I, am I praying correctly? Um, like, why isn't God listening to me? Is God wanting me to do this different or that different? Why doesn't he make things clear for me? And, and we begin to get anxious and frustrated, and it begins to build and build, and then we become defensive about all these small little petty things. We make little things into big things, and we become angry and feel justified right in that anger. See, this anger of the heart, it surfaces in so many ways and thoughts and feelings throughout our life that are all destructive. So does this mean that anger is always wrong? That it's never permitted? That all forms are sinful? Well, if we, if we go that route, then it, it's going to bring up some problems for us when we come to Jesus. Because for some of us, we may ask then, well, I, how can Jesus tell us that anger is sin, and yet when he pronounces his woes upon the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he calls them fools? Or how is it okay that Jesus throws some tables around in the synagogue? Like, it's just all good. The difference is that when Jesus did so, when he did these things, he did these things in a judicial manner upon sin. As one given authority by God, our Lord, he pronounces a final judgment upon the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23 as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And so this came, though, also after he had offered them the gospel countless times and they had rejected it every time. 
When he's turning tables over, he's addressing sin in the synagogue that grieves his soul. See, these instances of Jesus, they're not coming from a place of sinful anger. They're coming from a righteous indignation. He is denouncing sin. He is denouncing a self-righteousness that the Pharisees have used to replace the grace of God to try to justify themselves, thus they reject God. And so we need to draw a distinction in our lives between what is sinful anger and what is righteous anger. Because traditionally, Christianity will teach us just squash all anger as sinful. Any type of anger is sinful. And this has caused many of us to grow up in Christianity without being able to express ourselves. It creates a hypocrisy in us. It causes us to suppress our feelings rather than to work through them, which is exactly what Jesus is gonna tell us to do next in this passage. And right before we go there, I just wanna wanna look at Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. I believe this, this is a very helpful passage for us to learn what righteous anger is. Starting in verse 25 of Ephesians 4, it says, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. And so we see here, he, Paul says, be angry. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not lie and just tell everybody everything's fine. Don't be passive but speak the truth. Don't allow time to continue to build up bitterness and resentment in our hearts. Don't slander somebody. Don't gossip. Don't put others down, giving the devil an opportunity to destroy things. We're all members of one another. So there's a righteous way to be angry. But even in that, we can begin to handle it to where we make it sinful. And so Jesus, he tells us, starting in verse 23, let's look at this, 23 and 24, he says, If you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. And so we've seen in the first couple of verses, this, this state of the heart, showing us this, this command of do not murder is so much deeper than just an external act, but it's about the anger that is within us. And now he's trying to help us see how we are to deal with this in our lives, what repentance looks like here. He, he does this in two, I believe, very significant ways for us this morning. He says, first, if you come to give a gift, if you come to worship me, and you remember there that your brother or your sister has something against you, you need to press pause on worship. You need to stop singing. You need to hold on to your offering. You need to hold on before you take communion and go make things right. Go seek to reconcile with your brother or sister first and then come back and worship me. He's helping us realize that that this is so serious to God, that anger is so offensive to God. I mean, he said in verse 22, it's going to cut us off from God forever, that we'll be subject to hellfire. And so therefore, we can't just stroll merrily into church, just, just ready to worship with all these people, but we're angry with everybody, or they're angry with us. But we have to deal with our problems 
We have to confess sin, confront our offender. We can't let the the anger, the sin of anger, hide and creep around inside of us because if it does, it's going to destroy us. Now, this this isn't going to be easy. This is not an easy thing to do. Reconciliation is a very hard process. Notice I said process as well. It's very hard. It's easy to hide today. It's very easy for you to just go through the motions of church that you've been taught. So if you're in here today and your plan is to hightail it out of here with your head down to avoid a messy conversation, that may be easy. Jesus is going to say that's a big problem for your soul. If you're at this church because you're trying to avoid some conflict at another church, it may be easier to worship here, but Jesus is going to say that's a big problem for your soul. If you come to church because you're trying to escape things that are outside of this room and these people, whether that's at work or at home or a previous church, he's saying that's a big deal. It's such a big deal. He's saying, hey, don't bring that to my altar. Don't bring it. He's saying go and be reconciled first. Make things right first. Like if you're married in here, and you fought with your spouse this week, or maybe this morning, and you have yet to try to seek out reconciliation, Jesus is saying, don't stand there and sing with him or her and just act like everything's okay. If you blew up on your kids this week or this morning, like we all do, it happens. I never knew a six-year-old would make me so angry in my life. It's just crazy. But Jesus is saying, don't give me your offering before you go and apologize to your child. You know, I've learned over in my short time of parenting that my girls need to see me live out what forgiveness and reconciliation is much more than they need to see daddy in church and being perfect. If you are angry this morning, if you have anger in your heart where you've insulted somebody, maybe this week, or maybe you've thought unkind things, or you've gossiped, or you've slandered, then Jesus is saying, body and spilled blood for your reconciliation with God, and then refuse to reconcile with your brother or sister. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to have it. Go reconcile, and then come to worship. What Jesus is saying here. Before we come to worship, we have got to get into this habit of examining ourselves, asking, are there there people that are angry with me? Are there things that I need to own? Are there people that I need to seek out reconciliation with? Even though I'm here and I'm eager and I'm ready to worship, he's essentially saying, keep God waiting. Go and get right with the other person and then come back. The psalmist says in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I had been aware of malice in my heart, The Lord would not have listened. If there is the sin of anger in our hearts that we have not dealt with, that we have not confessed, then he's saying our worship is worthless. The Lord will not hear us. If you are in conflict with another person, you're harboring unkind thoughts, bitterness, resentment. God's word is assuring you this morning there is no value in your attempts of worship here until you leave and go make things right. See, the other very significant part of this is that not only are we to not harbor anger and bitterness in our hearts towards one another, not only are we to reconcile before we come to bring an offering or take communion or sing, 
But the commandment to not murder really means that we should always be taking steps towards living out this reconciliation that we have with God with one another. See how he switches things on there in that passage in verses 23 and 24? How he puts the responsibility of confronting not on the person that is angry, but on the person who might have offended? He says, if you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, if you remember, not if you're angry, if you remember... See, Jesus is expecting that as we come into worship, we would examine ourselves. And that in that examination, we would keep in mind the community of believers that he has put us in. And we would ask, does somebody have something against me this morning? Jesus is taking this to a, to a whole other level than just the external act of taking somebody else's life here in these two verses. Because the danger is, if we only look at this commandment as not committing the external act of murder, or even of not saying unkind things, then we will stop there and think all is well when it's not. But there's a second stage to this, a second tier to this. It's not just that I must not commit actual physical murder. It's not just that I must not say unkind things out of anger. But Jesus is encouraging us here to take steps to help each other remove the cause of trouble and disunity that might be there. To look out for our community of faith. And he does this because there's a tendency in all of us to think that just because we're not acting out in bad behavior means that we're all good. But wasn't that exactly what the Pharisees were doing? Trying to justify their behavior, to gain righteousness based off of their behavior? See, Jesus, he's here telling us, he's saying, don't, don't trust in that, trust in me. He's saying, walk by faith. To truly understand that reconciliation with God produces a reconciliation with one another. Therefore, we should always be taking the initiative to make sure that we are preserving the unity of one another. Romans 12, 16 and 18 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable. In everyone's eyes, I love this, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, it puts it on you to go and seek your brother or sister out. See, these are the actions of those who have this, this transformed heart of Jesus. Not only that they would not sin in their anger, but that they would search out others to make sure nobody else is doing that as well. That they would make sure we're good across the board. And understanding that that's a, that's a part of their worship. I love that Jesus correlates this to worship because, see, true worship is, first of all, trusting in Christ above all things. And from that trust, this transformed heart then desires to be obedient to God. Therefore, we make it our business to go and be reconciled with one another because we are reconciled to God. I mean, just think of how different church would be if we took this to heart, how late everybody should be, not because you overslept. That you're just, you're out there trying to reconcile things with a brother or sister. They just seemed distant. They seemed angry. So I'm just going to go ask the question. Jesus has told me to. I just want to be obedient. I want to preserve the unity of the church. Preserve the unity of his body. Then finally we see in verse 25, he says, reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. 
Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. I love this because Jesus doesn't let up here. It's not like he's like, okay, I know hearing anger is just the same as murder, and you have to go reconcile. I mean, those are difficult things. Those are hard things. So let me, let me soften this up. Let me put a nice little bow on top of this passage. Now, he doesn't let up the pressure. He's, what does he say there? He says, be quick. Boy, we don't want to do that. He's, he's saying, don't, don't let the bitterness build up. Do the work early. Don't let anger build up and get to this massive point of utter resentment and hate towards someone else. See, God's invitation here is to do everything that we can to be diligent in our attempt to resolve the matters of anger quickly. He's saying, don't, don't play around with this thing. Don't think anger is a toy. It's not a toy. It will destroy you. That's why he says, reach a settlement Quickly, don't let it grow, don't let it fester, don't let it elevate. Do your part as quickly as you can because oftentimes we don't wanna do that, we wanna let it linger. We wanna rehash everything in our mind because we're more about winning an argument rather than reconciliation. That's what we're about usually. So we begin to justify ourselves, we begin to be more concerned about being right than trusting God. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, don't do that, it's not worth it. This is an urgent matter. Don't delay a moment. See, there's this picture he paints for us here about the seriousness of why we need to handle this so quickly. I mean, he's already told us this will affect your relationship with God. He's already told us that it's so serious. You need to deal with this before you come into worship. And here he shows us this view of legal proceedings as he says that you will be handed over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and the officer will throw you into prison and you will not get out until you pay the last penny. And so in light of verses 21 and 22, he's painting a picture here for us of how if we do not deal with anger, it is going to be like us trying to avoid God's wrath on judgment day. It's going to go bad for us. He's trying to show us that if we're not quick to put these fires out in our lives, we are essentially showing our lack of trust in God, our lack of operating out of a self-righteousness rather than a faith in Jesus Christ. We're showing that we think we are in control of the situation, and God, you just, you're somewhere over there. Don't get in my business. I gotta be right. And hear the words of Jesus in this passage. That is a dangerous dangerous game to play. He says, you will be thrown into prison. You will not get out until you pay the last penny, that you will be subject to hellfire if you wanna go down that route. I feel like we oftentimes do not resolve these matters quickly. We're not fast to deal with anger because we, we just don't understand the freedom that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom from even this penalty that he's talking about, the freedom from this hellfire that he's talking about. We, we though feel trapped, we feel enslaved to our anger, justified by our anger, and it just fuels our anger even more. We hold in our emotions, which adds more fuel, and we get even more angry, rather than just resting in God's grace and being able to extend that to others. See, the truth is, is that all of us in here today stand or you're sitting, I'm standing, sit guilty of murder. You're all murderer. Guilty of trying to worship before reconciling. How many times have you done that? 
We are all guilty of being slow to resolve the conflict that is there. And thus, we have all been handed over to the judge, to the officer, and thrown into prison. Yet there's still good news for you this morning. There's still good news for you this morning that for those that have faith in Christ, because God has said to you, the bill that you owe me, you will never be able to pay that back. And so I've sent my son to pay it for you. I've sent my son to pay that last penny. I'm not paying your tab because you've been this good person. I'm, I'm paying it despite that because you have been hateful towards me. You have been hateful towards others. You've been hateful towards yourself. But I'm paying that last penny as I hang upon the cross, bearing the wrath that you deserve for your anger, for your um, frustration, for everything that you've done. I am taking that upon myself. I am extending grace to you. Forgiveness, love, reconciliation. See, because of what Christ has done for you and for I, we have been set free from the guilt and the shame of our life of murder. Where we, we no longer have to live with anger in our hearts. We can live with love, with reconciliation, with peace. You know, I really, I really if I can be honest, I, I battled hardcore in preparation for this sermon. I had two weeks to prepare for it pretty much. But I, I just thought like, how can somebody like me who gets so frustrated by a six-year-old and an eight-year-old preach to others about anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness? Like I've messed this up countless times. I've said hurtful things. I've held in bitterness. I've worshiped when I should have been reconciling. I've been slow to resolve issues to make sure that I'm right and you're wrong rather than reconciliation. Like, what am I doing up here preaching this message? I mean, I, literally, I was in two hours into my preparation time last Tuesday, and I ended up on the office floor in a panic, just refusing to study anymore, refusing to do anything. And... The Lord met me there, and he, he said, Brian, you're not trusting me. You're just like those Pharisees that are making it about them rather than me. He said, you need to preach what I've done, not what you've done. You need to preach my perfection, not your perfection. You need to preach my forgiveness for sin, my law, my good news. Whose show is this? Is it your show or is it mine? And in that moment, I was just reminded that, like, I can't come up here and try to conform you to my image, just like the Pharisees were doing in their day. But my prayer and my hope is that as the word of God was read this morning, as the Holy Spirit works, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ, where you would actually find this, that you need to be able to stand before God one day, and that you would get it through your head, as I have to with mine, that it does not come from our ability to get things right. It only comes from the work of Jesus on our behalf and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, where we become changed people through a reconciliation with the creator God. That when we would see how that he acted by turning the hostility that was between us into peace. And he did that by the blood of his son, where we understand that we are now his child. We are made right with God. We are members of his kingdom. We have a seat at his table. 
When we understand all that he has done for us and how much he has overcome for us, how can we do anything else but go out and try to reconcile with our brother or sister? And so can we just be honest with ourselves this morning and just ask the question, do I have anger in my heart? Is it there? Am I prone to outbursts of insults and withdrawals and gossip and slander of other people? Do I need to go have a conversation with somebody? And do I need to go search them out like Jesus has told me rather than waiting for them to come to me? I just wanna encourage you in two things before we pray and we begin to sing and take communion this morning. The first is I just really want to encourage you this morning to take some time to, before you go into communion, before you uh, start to give your gift or you sing or whatever it might be, I really wanna encourage you to meditate on the gospel of Jesus Christ to see this type of righteousness that does not come from yourself, that you have failed time after time after time, but the good news is that Jesus has come to change your heart. He has made you new. He has paid the last penny. You have been forgiven of your anger that you might live in the freedom of his grace and extend his grace to others. And secondly, I really wanna encourage you and plead with you to listen to the words of Jesus here in this passage. That if you feel convicted this morning, do not wait to do something about that. But listen to verse 25 and be quick. Do it today. Find the person in the parking lot if they're in here. Find the person at home. Have that conversation. Make a call today. Don't wait till you get home and you start to go about your day because you're going to get easily distracted. You're going to forget about all of this. Just do it now. Don't wait to be obedient to the word of God, but trust him now. Repent now by turning from your anger and going and reconciling with your brother or your sister. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who put an end to the wrath that was coming upon us. Father, who sets us free from sin and death. Father, we ask for his power. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to act right now in this room. Father, I know that there are many in here that have broken relationships, that have conflict, that have anger in their hearts, that have resentment built up. Father, would you just release them to obey you this morning? Father, would you encourage them to find freedom in going and confronting that brother or sister? Father, we need this because this just displays the beauty of what you have done for us. So Father, we ask that you would work in this room, that you would help us to become unified, to become one body. Father, we ask most of all that you would help allow us to continue to trust in the good news of anything else. Father, will you come and do work amongst your people? It's in your name I pray, amen.